0: The magazine Quillette has gained prominence as a home for free thought, and it bills itself as relying on, quote, reason, science, and humanism as our guiding values, unquote. How has this magazine approached the 20th century's leading philosophic advocate of reason, Ayn Rand? Well, we got a sense of that recently when Quillette ran a piece about Ayn Rand titled The Eyes Have It. The piece itself, is disappointing to put it mildly and we'll talk a bit about that today and I think there are some wider philosophic issues that it brings up so for exploring this piece uh, I invited uh, uh these two colleagues of mine Keith Lockich and Robert Mayhew. Keith works at the Institute alongside me and Robert Mayhew is a philosophy professor at Seton Hall University and a member of the ARI's board of directors. Welcome both. Good to be here. Hi. So I thought the place to start is just to give a picture of what Quillette is and why it's significant, and then to unpack a bit why we are responding to this piece. Because I think there there are there's an argument for, as we'll say, as as we'll bring out that there's not much value in the piece. So why comment on it? What is it that's significant here? So I, for people who don't know about Quillette, because it's not a major publication the way, say, the New York. Times Magazine or, or, or New Yorker uh, is um, maybe Robert or, or Keith. You can tell us a bit about how Quillette started. What is its differentiating uh, feature? Where, what does it make it so uh, salient today?
1: I mean, my understanding
2: it, of it. Or were you going to jump in, Robert?
1: No, no. You start. Um, okay. Yeah. My ahead. my understanding
2: is it, it it's it's uh, it started out as a new intellectual publication that's trying to have an alternative to, you know, the sort of standard um, tribalism of the left and the right. So it's, it's heterodox uh, compared to the mainstream media. And they, um, you know, they had at least early on, there was a lot of, of very reputable scholars and intellectuals who were writing for them. I remember you know, one piece that stood out for me was a year after uh, Stephen Pinker's Enlightenment Now was published, Quillette published a lengthy article by him looking at all the discussion that that generated and some of the reviews. And, and it was very interesting, um, very interesting discussion. And, and the idea of of being able to take on issues that um, are, are starting to uh, be considered unmentionable or not you know viewpoints that other people refuse to discuss you know this is supposed to be a home for um, for those sorts of heterodox ideas and to to hold their authors to a very high standard um, so that's you know when when it first came out that's what I that's what struck me about the publication
1: yeah, I would add the my familiarity with it is mostly um, articles written by academics who um, were canceled or fired or otherwise denied the, the freedom of expression that their institutions claim to be um, champions of. And there's some very good pieces. And, and in some of these cases, it's the it's only uh, a vehicle like this that, that uh, allows them to publish their views. So I've been very pleased. Uh, the only other, the other area is, I know there have been scientists and, and academics who've had heterodox views on transgender issues that can only find a place uh, to express their views in, in Quillet, um, maybe medium too, I guess. Uh, so that's been my um, my exposure to the magazine. And so far it's been very positive. And this, as you said, Alan, very disappointing for many reasons. But one of them was is that it, this is an entirely Orthodox view, uh, in a sense, um, of uh, and, and and perverse one uh, about Ayn Rand. It's not at all what you'd expect, given what we we've come to expect from Quillet, or at least the, what I've seen there. And and so in I'll particular, it's the, fact, about...
2: it's the fact that it's a place for people to bring ideas that are not you know. So there's there's a there's a seriousness about the discussion of ideas that that was there. Um, which we'll, uh, we'll get to this, but you don't see that at all in this piece. So.
0: Yeah, so why don't we unpack that a bit? Let's talk a bit about the article. So the title, as I said earlier, is The Eyes Have It, eyes as in, yeah, there we go, Yeah, I see it on the screen. And one of the, so you've said it, it's uh, a conventional or, or orthodox view of so I, I I This is the part where I was feeling really conflicted about Doing this podcast and discussion about the article because to talk about it is to give it a certain kind of respectability that I don't think it really warrants. Uh, but I think it, as, as I suggested, I think it does raise other wider things. And it's interesting as a cultural artifact the way people approach Ayn Rand, how they, they try to process her ideas, and what that looks like. So, a couple of things to start with is, is so, it's what is the piece ostensibly about? What is the point of this piece? And I think the best, the most charitable account is it's trying to illustrate the fact that Ayn Rand has a strong and enduring appeal with young people, and then to suggest a little bit why that is. I don't think it actually succeeds in doing either of those things, really. uh, It it brings up and rehashes various things that you keep hearing about Ayn Rand, and it leans on sources that I think are beneath dubious And it's mainly critical relying on secondary sources. The one thing that left out of me when I read it the first time is how little of Ayn Rand there actually is in the piece. I mean he the the piece mentions a few things about her in very broad strokes but you don't get any flavor let alone the substance of what Ayn Rand is about in her own words or at least in some uh, accurate formulations of what she stands for. So, so those, that's one observation I had. The other one, and I, I don't want to make this conversation a detailed, uh, factual uh, um, analysis of where this piece goes wrong, because I think it's, my assessment is it's an incompetent piece, and, or, or the editing is incompetent, when they, they process this piece, because let, they let through some, some very obvious factual errors or, or misconceptions. One of them is about the idea that, for Ayn Rand, the, this idea of a new intellectual, this conception of a new intellectual who stands for reason as as against superstition and and faith, that that's inherently someone who's young. And I don't think that's exactly what she meant. I think if you read her statement on this, if you listen to her interviews on the subject, I don't think she's restricting it to, it has to be young people. I think it's anyone who's open to reason. And I think her vision was that it, it would be a range of different people uh, and then there are just quotes attributed to Ayn Rand, just another example of this uh, shoddiness, I think, in terms of the processing of this uh, piece. A quote attributed to Ayn Rand from The Fountainhead that you see on t-shirts and you see on bumper stickers and people are really fond of it. And it's it's not actually what the orig- original statement is. This is from a scene in The Fountainhead early on where the lead character is, is talking to the dean of the architecture school. That he's Uh, attending and being um, uh, uh, um, expelled from, and the statement that people hear is, uh, and and it's circulating on the internet is, it's not who's going to stop me, it's who's, uh, sorry, it's, um, (laughs) I'm I'm mangling the quotation here, but uh, it's this idea that uh, it's not who's going to let me. who's going to
2: let me, it's who's going to stop me. Yeah, yeah but, it, but it, he doesn't yeah. even cite it as being from the Fountainhead. It's Ayn Rand used to say, like she went around yeah. saying that, you
0: know?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's not accurate on the Fountainhead and it's, I don't think she actually walked around saying this and it's, it's just the sort of thing that you would pick up and rehash um, from uh, the internet. So there's just some quick observations and well, I'm interested to hear from each of you. So your observations on that, just the just the piece as an attempt to articulate certain views.
1: Yeah, if I could, um, I'd say, first of all, I uh, I believe she claimed that you couldn't, you don't really count as an intellectual uh, mature, I mean, intellectual until you're 40 or over. So the idea that she thinks that she thought that it was young people who are these intellectuals, you want to start with, you have to start young, you want to try to you know train them and, and give them an education that they're not getting uh, in, in the universities, perhaps. But yeah, it, that was just one of the stupid things in the article. Um, Now to add, you had mentioned he wanted to, I mean, a charitable description is describe the phenomenon of young people, um, uh, young people being enthusiastic about Ayn Rand and explain why, but I think it's important that he also wants to dismiss it as juvenile. And that's an important part of what he's doing. He doesn't make an argument for it. It's just this rehashing of cliches, uh, snide remarks, and with the idea that you know maybe for you people out there who aren't ex- excited about her now you, you'll hopefully grow up and um, and be more realistic or whatever his alternative is because he doesn't give us much sorry you know Karl Popper but um, uh, yeah so I'd, I'd also comment on the with the cliches I thought it was shocking how unoriginal it was that is we've heard it all be those of us who have been around for a while uh, with an interest and love of of Ayn Rand it's um, We've heard this over and over and over again from all kinds of different people. And I remember thinking reading it and it got off to a bad start. The only original comment he makes is the opening line about her dark cinematic eyes enthralling young people. I've never heard that before. I don't think I've heard that people, older people who met her were found her eyes really, um, um, you know, engaging or what have you. But young people aren't. It, that's not what does it for young people. And since that's supposed to be what the article is about, he just doesn't get it from the opening sentence and it, you know, it just cascades. And there's all the usual, uh, some of the cliches are really um, oh, despicable ones. The the claim about um, she's the, the fact that her ideas are somehow a product of the fact that, um, you know, the, the Bolsheviks treated her family un, unkind, you know, that's why she became a, a critic of socialism. It's so Superficial um, and and unoriginal. So, uh, and that's kind of the tenor of the of the whole article. Yeah, I mean, what
2: what's what's especially disappointing here? It, it's it's a sort of pseudo biographical discussion. There's no discussion of her ideas. If you want to understand Ayn Rand's appeal to young people, you have to look at her ideas and engage with her ideas. Just giving her life story and talking about you know, her experiences under communism, uh, you know, that, that's not getting at what it, people find inspiring and appealing about her thought. I mean, one thing that stood out to me is, um, he talks about her novels and then, you know, he, he says she's she sought after not only for her novels, but also for her nonfiction, her slim volumes of collected essays and old newspaper columns and other outtakes. So she has a body of nonfiction writing that represents, you know, uh, a, a set of of seminal and deeply philosophical essays that offer a radical perspective on on the world, on morality, on fundamental issues in philosophy. And he's 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 calling these outtakes. So, I mean, that by itself suggests that, you know, at one point he says he thinks. Um she's worth reading carefully, but I don't see any evidence that, that this author has made any attempt to read her carefully.
1: Yeah, if I, I could go ahead. One, one more thing about the, the article. Um I don't know how much time we want to spend on it, spend on it. I found it there was something pitiful about it or or sad in that it seemed to be. A display on the part of the author of exactly what Ayn Rand comments on and criticizes in talking about the spirit of youth, what is wonderful about being young, and the unfortunate and the people who don't get it. And she, you know, she talks at length in some of her essays, "Art and Moral Treason," how parents do certain things to to kind of squash the spirit of youth. She talks about, and we might return to this. Um, in The Inexplicable Personal Alchemy about what is one of the great things about being young is this conviction that ideas matter. And she has it, you know, she has this idea is some hold it for their entire lives, some uh, only in their youth, and some never get it at all. And you get the idea reading this article as it progresses, this poor bastard never had it, or he dropped it. And I think it might actually be the latter, in the sense that he talks about Having once liked Ayn Rand, but then he matured. And it's, you know, maturity is your, your term, his term for betraying his what convictions actually lit a fire in him, however briefly and however you know, dim. Right. So it was sad in that respect. Um, and I don't think we'd be talking about it if he were the only one who, who presented these ideas. I wanna come
0: back to that in a minute. There's just one final thought to just round out the observations about the piece itself because I I don't wanna spend too much time on it. So the final thought I I wanted to offer is that in view of what the promise of Quillette was when it started and some of the high points that it reached, I think I've read interesting articles there. I think uh, Coleman Hughes published a number of articles there about race today that I thought were really penetrating. And as you said, Keith, they, they publish often excerpts from interesting books and, and uh, some reputable scholars that you might recognize. And so if you think of the publication at its peak or at its best, whenever that is, and I, and I tried to assess it yesterday, I read a number of articles to see, because I have lost touch with what they're doing. Um, it's quite variable. Um, so, I, so I mean, holding them to what their their vision was, I, i'm really disappointed that they publish this I, I really don't think it's worthy of what their goal is and i i, I have trouble taking them seriously after this uh, as an intellectual publication it's uh not as, as you guys pointed out in different ways it's nothing there's nothing fresh here there's no originality there's nothing heterodox this is sort of very conventional towing the line of the the criticisms that are circulating for many years, and I and I think it's sad because, I, as you said, Robert, there, there were things about Quillette that were admirable—that they were willing to publish people that were unpublishable or untalk about. You can talk about them, and for me, the the just to, to zoom out a bit. I, it, I I don't know if we can hold all the editors accountable and say they all agreed to publish this because I know some journals they don't always agree with what they publish and they don't always have uniformity among their decision makers, I don't know what they did in this case, I know they do publish things they don't agree with, but I would be surprised if they gave this treatment to someone like Charles Murray, whom they talk about quite a bit and try to give visibility to who's a very controversial scholar or someone like Steven Pinker, whom they publish frequently and talk to on their podcast, or somebody that is uh, in in the sciences, that, yeah, or, or, or someone like Christopher Hitchens, who was very controversial, and, and he made a whole career out of being heterodox in different times and different places. I can't imagine they would treat him with this kind of snide and, and uh, su- superior attitude that is not even engaging with the substance of what the the scholar did so to me that that's the core of my disappointment in what they did and there's much more we could talk about and I think it would just become tedious if we try to unpack the particular failings of this piece uh, and the selection of this author for writing it it's not clear why he'd be positioned to talk about it but I want to come back to the point you just raised Robert about this idea of what is it about Ayn Rand that appeals to young people? What is her conception of the best aspects of youth? And then the further point that you raise, which is that the, the perspective of people who look down on that and try to crush it and so forth. So maybe you could, you could tell us a bit about, so how does she think about the spirit of youth or the, what's, what's good about youthfulness?
1: Well, I think it's, it's a, a number of, of views um, or uh, it's a cluster of, of, of ideas. It's, the idea that ideas matter, that um, we can discover the truth, and it's important to try to discover the truth, that it makes a difference in your life, whether you discover the truth or not, whether you have the right ideas, that the what is good and, and right and true is possible here on earth, it's worth pursuing. All of that she sees is wrapped up in, in what, what is exciting about being a young person, if they haven't been you know, destroyed, in their in their youth, and um, all of that is an, it's a central part of her philosophy that the mind is capable of grasping the truth. We ought to be confident in our mind's ability. Uh, that one ought to pursue the truth for one's own sake. That it is. I mean, she called this the benevolent universe outlook. That one's. Um, one can achieve values here on Earth, whatever you know, stumbling there is, whatever obstacles one one meets, uh, and that one can achieve it again here on Earth. I and mean, there's that idea that um, how does Kira put it? Um, you know, not you know, to imagine a heaven and not to dream of it, but to demand it. I mean, that's part of it's not just young people generally. What she's commenting on, it's her own conception of what young people ought to be. Um, Uh, pursuing and commenting on. But it's it's an observation that goes beyond her her own philosophy. She sees this is what excites people in their youth. And unfortunately, too many of them, um, they lose it, right? And um, I think this is an important part of, it's an an important part of the the answer to the question, why don't these people attack uh, Christopher Hitchens and um, uh, Charles Murray, um, and I, I would put it differently in a way, why don't they attack, um, why don't, or they make fun of, why do you have people like this criticizing, um, I don't know, uh, young people who adopt their parents' religious convictions, right, um, that, you know, they're, those are much more widespread than, than there are young people um, who enthralled by the, by the fountainhead, so I think it's, I think this whole outlook—that there are ideals—it's important that we try to discover the truth, pursue them. I mean, I think uh, I think that's what is really behind this criticism. They want to dismiss all of that as um, as immature, and and I think okay. they have. It's not just Ayn Rand. I think it's. I can imagine if some if one of these people. Or Alan Bloom or whatever, if they met some young person who says, I read Cyrano de Bergerac every year because it, you know, really uh, it makes me stand up to you know what I believe in. I think they would find that as immature. It wouldn't be as fun criticizing it because it's not Ayn Rand. But I think that I think that whole um, cluster of, of what's so important, uh, things that are important to to Ayn Rand, um, that that they dismiss as um, as 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 wrong or 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 worse
2: as well i remember who said it before as juvenile but just i think part of it is also it's the it's it's the idea that holding values is important you know having having values that you are passionate about and what's interesting is the, the people they're trying to criticize here are people who who value, who value Ayn Rand, they value her, like they, they hold her novels and her ideas as something that they're passionate about, that they're interested in. So in the same way that they're generally trying to sneer, you know, they want people to mature out of the idea that it's important to hold ideals and to pursue values and to have passions. Um, they, they want to um, uh, also, Specifically, the fact that people value her and her ideas, they want to, they want to attack that and smear that and, and dismiss that. I think it's 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 an expression of the same general thing that they want to uh, apply this to people's interest in Ayn Rand and and dismiss it as immature and juvenile.
0: So one one observation to connect with what you're raising, uh, Robert and Keith, thinking back to what I what I found resonant found here when I first read it, and then what I've heard other people talk about, I think it's it's the two important truths here. One, she understood something deep about what it is that is good about youth and idealism and the value that sort of this experience that we have and that she characterizes as a conviction that we have that our life matters, knowledge matters and the truth matters and it it's, it's almost felt like an, like a self-evident truth that you can't not believe it. So I think she has that observation. I think the second truth here is that in her fiction, we, we experience people, fully formed characters who have that in them. So the heroes really have this commitment to the truth and to the values that matter in life and to, the, to their judgment. And it's, it, they're the ones, part of what's interesting about the heroes, they don't give that up. That's part of what makes them heroic and enables them to achieve great things. And I think that it, some part of what people respond to in Ayn Rand is that they don't see that anywhere else. It's very unusual to see that dramatized. And it's also, I, I think you, got, you had the, uh, raised this point in an earlier conversation before we went live, Robert, that it's, there's something about fiction that makes the, the, the portrayal of that fact of the this whole idea of idealism, so much more powerful than if I just characterized it in, in a nonfiction description. It's just you get to experience it in such a powerful way. And I think that when people experience Ayn Rand, it's, it's they have a sense of what this is about. Then they encounter the characters and the stories and the trials that they go through, and it becomes even more real in their minds. It's, it helps them conceive, sort of put in conceptual terms, what is so hard to name and, and yet and yet is there or ever present in her thinking. I'm curious your reactions to that.
1: It's Well, she says, um, I mean, in a number of places in her aesthetical writings that, um, again, the our author didn't read, I think. Uh, she says that art is the indispensable means of presenting a moral ideal and particularly romantic literature, she thinks is crucial to presenting, to properly orienting a child towards the, the sort of things Keith was talking about earlier, that this respect for values, this love of values. And she has this wonderful essay, Art and Moral Treason. And the treason is the squashing of that desire in children at a, very, a fairly young age. But um, it's, there's something about romantic literature that's very youthful. And even the, the, rom- the romanticists themselves saw them themselves as, as kind of young upstarts in a way, but it's this, what romantic art gives you for her is this presentation of, of an ideal and one that is re- realizable. Now some, you know, Hugo might be different from Ayn Rand, obviously, but that's basically uh, the characteristic of the genre or, or the, the school. Um, it allows you to contemplate it as, uh, it allows you to experience it it's a confirmation that this is what is possible. And it's, it gives you the fuel, she says, to pursue it. And this is what young people, if they haven't been, I think if they haven't been really messed up um, by their parents or their culture or what have you, this is really, it's natural for them to want that uh, and, and to need it. And she says what um, it's interesting by contrast, what irrational people seek uh, in art is um, not what I just described, but a justification of their malevolent or depraved view of the world. And what they want is not a confirmation. I forget how she puts it exactly. It's not um, a confirmation about what is possible. It's a permission to to stand still. And she means by that it's, um, it's per- permission not to have to pursue an ideal. And I think that outlook is behind all of these, uh, these attacks on her as being, or, or not attacks on her, but also on young people to, who respond to her. These are people who don't, who reject entirely the, the importance of romantic literature and everything that involves, which in, is a lot.
0: So I wanted to just probe that a little more. So I I'm old enough to remember, you know that you know where this is going. I am old enough to remember, I think it was Hillary Clinton at some point in her career commenting on Ayn Rand and having the the zinger or the put down of yes, we read Ayn Rand when we were young and then we grow up and and so it's it's echoed echoed in this piece from Colette. And I forget exactly the wording, but Barack Obama had a similar statement yes. that Um, yes it's for young people but then when we when we realize what the world's really about we we obviously turn our backs on that let's not be juvenile here and I'm not picking on them just to to isolate them because of where they are politically but I I just as two very prominent people who've had this view I don't think it's it's unique to any particular place on the intellectual landscape but I think it's interesting that that it's a kind of uh, it's definitely a cliche that's what it and I think part of what is interesting about that is I think some element of it is reputation management. It's, uh, it's okay. I admit I read her. Yeah, I did it because you're supposed to read it. But I'm not the kind of person that you think I am. If you think I like her still, I'm, not, I'm better than that. And it's, it's, there's something in it that is self-condemnatory in my view. It's, it's that you care oh, yeah. so much about what people think about you Why do you care what what they think about you? Uh, It's the sort of Peter Keating mentality. Don't worry, I'm not really that sort of individual person who thinks for themselves and and takes Ayn Rand seriously. And 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 I'm not trying to prejudice this in a certain way, but I think there's definitely that sort of reputation management, which what I find interesting about that is the circles those sorts of people travel in, there has to be some clear or unstated expectations that this is, be, this, you can't be serious if you have an interest in Ayn Rand. And I, and I met people like that uh, in various contexts, uh, various scholars and intellectuals. And, and I find that really disappointing. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen that or what your thoughts are.
1: Well, I've, I've seen some of that in some people, but I think in the case of Hillary and Obama, it's a symptom of their more fundamental betrayal. that um, That is, I don't think they secretly love Ayn Rand back at home and and still peruse their old copies of the Fountainhead. I think to get where they did politically, you have to um, sell your soul. And and I mean, Hillary really had no ideals. I mean, she had whatever was out there, but she she would turn on a dime, I think, if, um, if it would um, uh, help her win an election and Obama, he had a reputation of being this idealist, but you know, um, what kind of change is he advocating? Change you can believe in, and but there's no content anywhere. And it's, it's. I think in his case, he said, "I think it was, was it Rand Paul or, or these people who, who were in the news. Um, some of the politicians who were talking about Ayn Rand, and he, yeah, we all read her when we were young, <laughs> and that's kind of um, that's that's the attitude. But I don't." Um, I think there are people I've met who um, I I know a couple cases where people have uh, when they were they knew I was a scholar of ancient philosophy, but didn't know about the Rand stuff and sent me kind of private emails. You know, I loved her when I was in high school and not in the sense that now I know better, but I think it was letting something out that they can't do too often in public. And um, so I think that I think that's true. And it's strange for people who've responded to the Fountainhead that especially that that would be uh, how you, you you treat your your love of Ayn Rand if there is such a thing. But I don't think it's something um, uh, I'll give uh, uh, Hillary and Obama enough integrity to her. Uh, um, yeah, I think they're consistent enough that that uh, they probably loathe her way down. Um, there's a there's a
2: I think an interesting and profound moment in in one of the interviews that Ayn Rand did, I think it's right at the beginning of the interview, the interviewer says to her, you know, your your opponents think you're daft, don't they? And she says, no, they don't. Mm -hmm. He's like, what? No, they don't. They want you to think that. And I think that is what really explains, you know, why is it that the, we see a constant stream of articles like this oh yes she's wonderful i loved her when i was young but then you have to grow out of it and mature and, and be smarter why you know why does paul krugman feel the need to repeat the same smear at least twice a year in his column um you know that that this this line of attack it's i don't think it's that they um really think this I think it's they're desperate to make sure that they squash the the idealism that she inspires in in young people and you know they'll they want to find some pretext to try to convince people that she's not worth taking seriously um
1: and I think that also explains
2: why these articles don't do it don't engage with her ideas at all because if you actually start looking at you know some of the interesting original radical ideas that she had then you know then the, the game is lost because there's so much that's that's profound and inspiring and interesting to young people especially in those in her ideas
1: yeah i think for that type um, the empress is beautifully dressed and they want to try to convince people that she's naked and that's what they're they're i think they they aware it they're aware at some level that there's something there and so you hear these just oh I mean, even like Hitchens and Alan Bloom, it was mentioned in the, you They uh, clearly, I mean, uh, clearly she's not literature, but, you know, these young people like her. Well, let's, there, see, let's What just, standards um, are they? Yeah, I was just, just gonna ask you, Robert.
0: Let's talk a bit about who Alan Bloom was, just for context. So he was a, a scholar at University of Chicago, I think for many years, and he wrote a, a, a surprising bestseller called The Closing of the American Mind. Just give us a little bit more flavor of what kind of scholar he was and, and the way he characterized brands. Because I know it's in the in the, it's in the piece, but I think it's worth sort of lifting
1: up and elevating the context. Well, he's, a, he's an unusual figure. He was probably the star student of Leo Strauss, if you've heard of him. Um, this kind of conservative, but in, in an unusual kind of conservative. They were very much in the idea that um ideas matter, books matter, great books matter. We need to go back to the ancients to uh, to, to find solutions. so all that might sound good. and Alan bloom, especially um, he he thought books were really important. He taught not only you know he, you hear these stories about how wonderful his seminars on Plato's Republic, on Rousseau, all these things are, but also in literature. He used to co-teach um literature courses with Saul Bellow um, on Shakespeare's plays on, on you know, Anna Karenina and you know, Jane Austen and things like that, I, I believe. So in, in closing of the American mind, he's bemoaning the fact that, and I can understand this, um, and this is late eighties, right? When the book came out, um, he's bemoaning the fact that, his, that American college students don't love books they don't have a favorite book that they really turn to for inspiration and joy you know regularly. and in that context he mentions well the exception you know some people mention the Bible but they don't really you know take it seriously as a sacred text. he says something along those lines and then there's always someone who'll mention Ayn Rand but he dismisses that as hardly literature and you know sub Nietzsche. but that is really dishonest and it's it's strange because what you want to ask of him is, then what are you looking for? You're clearly discouraged that young people don't want literature. And here they are coming to you with this recent literary work. Where do you want them to find inspiration and all that? And it's not at all clear. Now, I think I know something about him. I've studied Alan Bloom, his his kind of works on, on Plato and, and all that. I think he's very much a Shakespearean figure in a way. He has this olympian detachment what fools these mortals be and you know, we read the great in fact his interpretation of plato's republic is that plato is not an idealist he's making an argument as to why it's a disaster to try to pursue ideals and so it's really again it's not about um he doesn't he doesn't take the time to read her and you know wonder why is she not literature and dostoyevsky is Um, you know, I don't think he would take Cyrano de Bergerac or or Hugo very seriously. He doesn't talk about them, although he writes a lot about uh, literary figures. Um, So there's something more going on. And I think it's, it's that um, he wants something, uh, he wants them to love books, but in an old kind of great books, conservative way. And she, and, and it's, it's not just that there's not enough people who have said she's great. Um, it's that there's something about her view of what great literature is, what what is philosophical truth that just is so alien to someone like that. So he's a much more sophisticated, much more interesting person than this guy whose name I can't remember who wrote the article that got us started today. But it's still as depressing and in a way even worse that here's someone who's complaining about American college students, and he has a lot to complain about. I mean, he's, he talked about, um, you know, all American college students are moral relativists and what a problem that was and, and things like that. So, um, but now he, you know, he gets a chance to actually engage with some students and talk to them about what they love about the novels that mean so much to them, and he dismisses them. And, you know, God knows what he says to them in class when they raise their hand and mention Ayn Rand but you can see the eyes rolling and the dismissive. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, had yeah, a, that,
2: yeah. And I, I had a similar reaction to Steven Pinker's take on Ayn Rand because I read Enlightenment Now, which is a brilliant book. I mean, and and a lot of what he has to say is so important and so valuable. And he's sending out a clarion call for a return to enlightenment values. And if there's any thinker in the 20th century who, who can, um, Lay the philosophical foundations for a return to the Enlightenment. It's Ayn Rand, and he doesn't engage with her at all. He the one place he mentions her, he just sort of dismisses her as
1: warmed over Nietzsche, um, and it's and just that's unfortunate. So an and that, that's why it's important. I mean, I um, he he his only knowledge of Ayn Rand. I think what happened is you get these people who love Ayn Rand who talk to you know you really ought to read her. You really ought to. So he reads Jennifer Burns. That's who he. That's his source, uh, and that's um, that's a tragedy that he would go to that source, um, you know, biography, which is I've written a review of the book. It's I think it's a terrible book, um, but that you know, if if that's all the trouble you're going to take, uh, that's the view she presents. He's a, a, she's a, among other things a warmed over Nietzsche, and so, um, yeah, that's a big pity because because. Pinkard, there's a lot in him that um, he doesn't think we're conscious or have free will, but he's a real champion of reason. And uh, um, I mean, I, I don't mean that that's kind of a nasty remark, but it's, it's just a strange aspect of him because he's so good on so many issues. Uh, um, it's just really unfortunate. He could have been, uh, um, I think, a real ally there, but
0: before we go to the one more question to close out the conversation, I wanted to acknowledge all of those watching and who are have contributed to the super chat. We really appreciate your support. Thank you for that. Uh, that's uh, very welcome and uh, well, we're glad to have you. Uh, we I don't know if we'll get a lot of time for questions today, but I do want to come back to one topic from earlier in the conversation. So we, we've we started with this article that's not, that's dis- disappointing to put it uh, charitably. It's inept. It doesn't really engage with Ayn Rand. There's a lot of things wrong with it. And I think the, the wider, more interesting issue is this perspective on why it is people have this recurring perspe- recurring comment on Ayn Rand that it's it's something to outgrow and, and uh, bashing the idealism that people respond to in her. I wanted to go back to you raised this question Keith when we were planning this conversation it's well why are we talking about this article if it's that bad and I think part of the answer is just that there are wider issues here Uh, but I wanted to throw it back to you because I think you have some some thoughts on this
2: I mean as we've discussed this isn't the first article like this these articles come out from time to time usually you see them in a publication like Salon or something where we wouldn't even pay attention mm-hmm. to it but um, but um, we've in the past the attitude that we would take is is why even discuss this at all like it, it, there, there isn't really anything here that's worthy of commentary there isn't a serious attempt to talk about Ayn Rand about her ideas there's this sort of there's always this sort of tone of snide snarkiness and it's just it's just a it's just a hit piece so why even bother talking about it but the the well we've started to do this a little more with pieces that we in the past might not have because you know on the premise that if there are if there are people maybe people who are newer to Ayn Rand's ideas and who who just aren't don't have the knowledge don't know in what ways this is a distortion or um, or is ignoring her ideas, or makes comments about her ideas that are just false, um, and and it's worth it to offer a different perspective, you know. So there's there we've 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 had a number. You wrote an article, Elon, sort of dissecting two pieces, one from Salon and one that was published in National Review. So opposite sides, in a certain sense, of the intellectual spectrum. Um, both of them were just were just. Uh, um, totally meritless hit pieces, and, the, and your article wasn't, you know, w- it was really more about the method behind these pieces, and what is it, what does that tell you about the, the seriousness w- with which people are, are taking Ayn Rand, or the lack of seriousness, and I think it's worth um, bringing those kinds of issues to light for the sake of people who might be newer and might not really under, have, have the knowledge to uh, understand what's wrong with them or to uh, you know, counter them.
0: Yeah, I, I, let me add to that one other thought, which is I, I we one of the things we do, um, one of my colleagues has a project of tracking different articles about Ayn Rand and, and we keep track of it. And we're interested in how people talk about her and what they say. And so once in a while, we do the sort of thing you're describing, which is respond to some of these <laughs> meritless pieces. and. And it's kind of a drudgery for me sometimes to to read them, and I not a, not the fun part of my job, I have to say, but I, I do find it interesting. And in in doing this, one of the things that I think is important is to get to the 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 substance and the positive aspect of what it is about Ayn Rand that people don't like. So what what is it? What's the value here? I think some of what you raised, Robert, I think is central to that. It's the this conception of what youth is and, and the value of idealism that she uh, presents in her fiction and in other places. So I, it, with that in mind, I wanted just to recap some of the essays that we mentioned in the conversation for people. And we will include these in the show notes with links for people to find them. But um, I think the one place to go to read Ayn Rand's view of what it, what is the spirit of youth and idealism is the essay, Inexplicable Personal Alchemy. And I have to say, the title doesn't really help you understand what the essay is about. It's (laughs) it's not an unconscious, but it's a captivating piece. We read it this morning. You mentioned uh, art and moral treason. Uh, That's right. Was there another one that you mentioned in in the aesthetics? I forget.
1: Art and and art and sense of life. She deals. Those are both in um, the uh, Romantic Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And... um, Yeah, and and inexplicable personal alchemy is, uh, it's been in the collection, the the return of the primitive. Um, I'd mentioned there's- She talks um, about, in in the introduction to the Fountainhead,
2: she talks about the spirit of youth as well. I think there's some, there's a brief discussion of it
1: there. And you get, I mean, in the portrayal of uh, Kira and We the Living, uh, there's an essay by Ben Baer, in Essays on, there's a volume called Essays on Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead, and um, uh, Ben has this really good essay on um, the Fountainhead and and the Spirit of Youth. Uh, I don't know if I've got the title right, but that's basically it. Could I, uh, Ilan, do it? I think there's been one omission. Could I comment on um, one point I wanna make? um, We're talking about Ayn Rand's positive philosophy. This is really the opposite of it. But I think one of the things that we haven't mentioned as to why They're so bad, I mean, some of these attacks are so bad. Where is it coming from? Why are they attacking her view of ideals and pursuing them? And I think it's the ethics of altruism. I think people are being raised on, I mean, morality just is the altruist morality. And if that's your view, if your view is that the good is to sacrifice yourself for others, then that is a a blatant contradiction with her whole idea of what is exciting about being young, because what's exciting about being young is what am I going to do with myself in my life? It doesn't mean you're gonna you know, destroy people, you know, who get in your way or anything weird like that. It just means there's something um, inherently egoistic about it properly understood. And I think altruism squashes that. And that's why if you look at, if, I think one of the things to ask is when people write these kinds of essays, well, what is their view of the ideal? What do they think young people ought to be doing, right? Um, and what they think tends to be, unless they're completely cynical and, you know, people are all scum or whatever, they think their idea of idealism is, um, what's that expression? Um, something bigger than oneself, right? You got to find some project or whatever, you you work for the environment or you, you help poor people in, in some, but you're it's not about you and in any rich sense. And I think that's a really important thing that's that's behind this. That I mean, it's been implied in a lot of what, what we've talked about, but I think it's worth underscoring. So.
0: Well, thanks for adding that. I, I wanted to, uh, as we close now the conversation, I wanted to mention, you mentioned the book uh, Essays on Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead and the essay by Ben Baer in that. So. For people watching who are new to Iron Rand or who, who want to explore more, want to understand her better, because I think that's the goal of my bringing this up. Uh, and ha- what motivated me to have a conversation about this piece is okay, forget the piece, <laughs> go explore Ayn Rand, see what the, what's really going on. Because I think th- there's an inadvertent advertising that these sorts of pieces have for certain kinds of readers, which is. Why are you working so hard to bash her? There must be something here. I'm going to go look at it. And part of my motivation is to say to people, yes, it's true. They're telling you it's not worth reading because it is worth reading. And I, I would, I'd love for people to go and explore, read, read her novels, read her nonfiction. And then when you've done that, if you really want to dive deeper, I wanted to mention the the essay collections you uh, worked to put together, Robert. So there's there's a a set of essay uh, books, essays on Ayn Rand's, and then each novel, Anthem, We the Living, The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, and he's, there you go, great. Uh, And I have to say, that is just such a wealth of, of serious scholarship, engagement with her ideas, with her literature, and there's so much to learn about Ayn Rand. So one reason is, I don't think that's the place people should start. They should start with Ayn Rand, read everything she has to say that interests you. But if you want to see what it looks like actually to engage with her thought take a look at these books of essays and then there's still more scholarship that's coming out that uh, we could talk about but that's that's for another conversation and and I think it's useful to have that contrast of if Quillette is really the home for free free thought what does it look like to engage with Ayn Rand it does not look like what they published it looks more like the sort of thing that you have helped to, to bring out in those books and in other places so uh, I, I want to put that on the record. I, I've found them really valuable, and I want other people to know about those those books. So let's um, let's draw a line here. Any final thoughts? I, don't, I want to make sure we don't skip anything. If you had any last closing remarks. Well, we
2: had the we had this one question that came in over Zoom about whether we considered inviting someone from Quat. I mean, we have reached out to uh, the editors to see if they will, if they're interested in a in a. Not like a rebuttal or a piece about Ein Rand from us that takes her seriously and and you know offers a, a, a view for the readers of out of why you know they they should take her seriously and be interested. So you know so we have reached out to the editors in that way and we'll see um, if they if they take that up.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to say that my my goal is not to. I mean, I have a different evaluation of Quillette now than I did, say, a couple of weeks ago before this piece came out. But I I still am open to them being, uh, to growing and becoming a valuable place. I think, I don't think one piece is going to completely destroy a reputation, but I think it's going to harm their reputation for sure. And and I I could see the value in publishing there in the future if they improve uh, and so on. Uh, Okay, so thanks. Let me thank you, Keith, for joining and Robert, thanks for taking time. I know you you have a busy week with finals and so on. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening and watching us. Uh, If you enjoyed this, we'd love for you to leave a comment, share, uh, tell people about it, click on the subscribe button and click on the bell so you get notifications. We want to amplify the message here and get more people to engage with what we do. So if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead, click those buttons on facebook and other platforms please do the same share let people know like that helps us reach more people uh through those and hours. we should
2: mention that we also we now have a tiktok account
0: too so if you're on oh, tiktok yeah. search for ayn rand, ayn rand underscore
2: underscore and you'll find it. So, yeah <laughs> you can
0: find it And so we, we just published something yesterday that i think will, will uh resonate with some of the people who, who happen to be very young and we, we're interested in connecting with young people so yes go you're interested in uh you can uh, explore that on, t- and so, on TikTok. So we'll be back uh, next week with a new topic. And until then, thanks uh, for watching.
2: You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to Einrand.org forward slash membership.